telling you the story of this man. This is a, it's probably not what he looked like, but it's the famous painting of him. Anyone have any idea who this might be? And Leonardo da Vinci is a great guess, but not, not who that is. Augustine, or Augustine, however you, you say it. It's Augustine in 354 A.D. he was born. His mother's name was, she's famous, who was? Monica. His father's name was, was Patricius. And uh, the reason why we know his mother's name is because his mother prayed for him for years and was a godly woman. And the reason we don't know his father's name is because he was an ungodly man. And uh, Augustine followed in the ways of his dad. Really, as he grew up, he demonstrated himself to be an outstanding student. Great curiosity, a, a thirst for knowledge. However, as a young man, he broke his mother's heart because he followed after the ways of the world following his dad rather than following his his mom. He followed after the ways of his friends who delighted in boasting of their sexual exploits. And and he was involved in that. You can just think of everything that that involves. Augustine had several mistresses, fathered a child out of wedlock. And even shortly before his conversion, he was preparing to to marry a 10-year-old girl. But because she was rich and a family of wealth, and honor, Augustine had to wait till she was 12 to be married. Now, he, he never married her, but that was his intention. And that was in Milan, where his academic abilities had brought him to be a professor of rhetoric in northern Italy in a very prominent position at age of 30. And he was a rising star among the academic world, literally. And while in Milan, he, he, he took an interest in hearing a Christian preacher named Ambrose. And the, and the reason why... He was interested in Ambrose was not because of Ambrose's Christianity, but because of Ambrose's eloquence, for he was one of the greatest orators of the day. But the truth that Ambrose proclaimed began to penetrate Augustine's hard soul. And then in late August of 386 BC, at the age of 31, when he's preparing to marry this young girl, Augustine was with his friend Olypius. And uh, they went to an outdoor garden near their residence, a place of, of relative peace and serenity. But Augustine was hardly enjoying his, his peace and serenity. He, he was under great conviction of sin. The, the realities of what Ambrose was preaching and the prayers of his mother were doing a work in his heart. And we might say that he was a basket case. I mean, he knew his sin, but he did not know how to get out of his sin. He didn't know how to be rescued from his sin. And um, he knew he was not honoring the Lord in his life. He, he said things like this. He said, I knew what evil thing I was. I, I knew that I was distracted and dying. I, I knew that I was at strife with myself, soul sick and tormented. And then at one point, he separated himself from Olypius' friend and, and went to sit by himself under a fig tree. And uh, he said to Olypius, he said, solitude is better for the business of weeping. And, and he was there giving full vent to his tears under that fig tree, just, just longing for God, longing for God to help him and to be merciful to him. He was, he was praying as he says in his confessions, he said, how long, how long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Pulling from the Psalms, right? He, he knew the scriptures very well. He said, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Why not now? Why not this hour be an end to my uncleanness? And while in that contrition and weeping and, and bitterness, 
he was there, and there were some kids playing. And, you know, here's, a, again, a, a drawing. But it's kind of like they were playing maybe behind that wall. And he heard this little voice. He didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl. And uh, th- this voice was saying, Tola Lega, Tola Lega, like singing or chanting even, like Tola Lega, Tola Lega, Tola Lega. He'd never heard that before, but you know what that means? Latin scholars, that means take and read. Take and read. And at this point, his, his countenance changed. He checked his torrent of tears, and he interpreted the words to be the command of God to take up his Bible and read. And so he arose, returned to his friend Olypius, where he had a, a copy of the Bible. And Augustine picked it up, randomly turned to a page. And you know what page you turned to? Romans 13, particularly verses 12 and 13 and 14. But we're going to read, our, our text is 11 through 14. Let's read the words that Augustine read, Augustine read, on that day, some 1,600 years ago. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. Then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And these words cut Augustine to the heart because he was walking in darkness and knew that he should be walking in the light. And later he wrote, he said, No further would I read, nor needed I, for instantly the end of this sentence, by a light, as it were, of serenity infused into my heart, and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. And he put his finger right there on his Bible, and he, and he shut it, and he told the story to Olypius. He said, I'm free. I, I understand now. The, the darkness is gone. And Olypius said, well, what have you read? And, and Augustine opened it up, and, and he gave it to Olypius. Right there, just like this. He says, he says I, I read this right here. And Olypius took that and said, do you know what follows? And he said, no. And Olypius said, I don't either. Let's read. He said, ask for the one who is weak in faith. Welcome him. And Olypius welcomed him. And they understood they were being welcomed by God. Olypius came to faith as well. That was in August. By that next Easter, they were both baptized by Ambrose. And Augustine then went on to be one of the greatest theologians the church has ever known. And this text is a sacred text that God used to stir his heart and his mind, to lead him to faith and assurance. Now, when Augustine went forth and told his mother, Monica, what happened, she, she leapt for joy. She told him how she prayed for 30 years for him, and now her mourning was turned into joy, just like Psalm 126 is, like, what, like we sung today. And maybe today, that might be repeated among us today. Someone sorrowing over their sin might come and see the light of the gospel of Christ. So let's pray. Father, thank you for Augustine and all that he has done, um, his writings, the way he's impacted the church greatly. I think of his most famous work, The City of God. He's talking of the, the battle between Christ's kingdom and the kingdom of Satan and, and how you have your people here upon earth 
God doing your work in a, in a mysterious way in the church. Um, Father, we, we thank you, though, how you use Scripture. God, these little children, God, were the preachers that told him to, to take and read. And he read from these verses and was changed. And so, Father, I, I pray this morning, God, that we too would be changed by these words. That we would not walk in darkness, but that we would walk in light. That we would know you and serve you and love you for all of our days. God, as we've been working our way through Romans, just sentence by sentence, word by word sometimes, paragraph by paragraph sometimes, I pray that this passage would come and, and impact us afresh. God, may today be, be the time in which, God, you work, God, because today is the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my message this morning is entitled, Today is the Time. We see these two themes here in, in a passage today about how now is the time right, for salvation, and today, it's, it's, it's today, it's now. I have three points, they all come from the text. The first one is simply this, is wake up. I get that in verse 11. <clears throat> Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. At this point, Paul is pleading with those in Rome to wake up from their spiritual slumber. He envisions them like, like sleepy and in bed, and then, nee, 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 wake up! what he's, he's saying to them, wake up, it's time for you to get up. Now, I know that, I trust that you all know this feeling. Maybe some of you kids don't quite know this feeling, right? Because you don't know, neat, 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 neat. What your kids know is, hey, time to get up, time to get up. And then being jostled out of your sleep by your mother. Maybe that's what you know. How many of you experienced this before? Maybe you've experienced it even this morning, right, when the, the alarm clock went off and you gotta, you got to go. By the way, does the alarm clock go off or does it go on or like, you know what I'm saying? It's going ee, 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 all the time and then finally it's quiet and you go like, what? What's that? No. So anyway, that's, that's the alarm, right? Or maybe your wife bumped you. Hey, are you going to get up? You're going to get out of bed? Are you going to take your shower now? We got to get up. We got to get going. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about to these Romans, now, he's not talking about sleeping in your bed, obviously. He's talking about sleeping in your spiritual walk. Now, think about just sleeping. What, what, what's happening when you're sleeping? Like, you're dull to the world, right? You, you, maybe someone walks in your bedroom and you don't even know it. Maybe some people are whispering along the side and, and you don't even know it. When you're sleeping, you're very vulnerable. Maybe your kids are going to come up and take a little feather and... and and feather your nose, and, and you know, and you might be sleeping there, and the feather comes on your nose, and you're kind of, you don't understand that your kids are there, or maybe they're going to take a tape recorder, or take a phone, and record you snoring, to the later embarrassment of everybody around. I've had that done before. Hey, Dad, you were snoring. Look, we got you. Though the volume is difficult exactly to, to understand on a, a recording, but in your sleep, you're, you're oblivious. You're off in your own dream world, where, wherever that might take you. And similarly, if you're sleeping spiritually, you're, you're dull to the things of the world. You may not realize when the Lord is in the room. You cannot hear His voice. And you're vulnerable to the temptations around you. You're oblivious, right? Because you're not spending time in Scripture. 
You're not spending time in communion and prayer with the Lord. God's people are your strangers. Yet, perhaps, you think all is well. When in fact, it is not because you're in a spiritual slumber and you need to wake up. Wake up from your spiritual slumber. And Paul gives a reason why. He says, because it's time. Today's the time. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. It's time for you to wake up. Now, now this time, exactly what Paul is talking about, really difficult to, to know, whether it's the, the time of persecution the Romans are bringing, whether it's the, the time of your soon death, maybe getting old enough, or, or maybe it's the, the time of the Messiah. We're living in the church age, right? When, when, when grace has come in, in Christ Jesus. Or, or maybe it's the time shortly before the coming of Christ. We don't know exactly what, what he means here by the time, but we do know exactly what he meant by these words. He said it's time to wake up. We know that. And then finishing it, he, he tells more about this time. He says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The, the point here is that Paul's talking about salvation is a, he's talking about salvation here rather in a little bit different way than we normally talk about it. He says our salvation now is nearer than when we first believed because we often think about salvation in the past tense, don't we? Like, I was saved. Or someone, maybe Christian, Christianese, said, when were you saved? And, and you tell the story about, well, I was saved when I was a young boy. And I went to summer camp, a Christian summer camp, and, and I remember there was a, a preacher there and he was telling about Jesus speaking on the cross and he quoted from Isaiah 53, verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And, and I believed in Jesus as a little eight-year-old at that camp. And I was saved. I was saved. We talk about it that way. Or, or another testimony might be like this. I was saved in college. I was off pursuing my sin. But a friend at university came and shared the gospel with me. How I was a sinner and in need of forgiveness. I repented of my sin. I cried to the Lord. And he saved me when I was in college. Or, or maybe you say like this. I was saved later in life. I never went to church when I was young. Uh, we were married in front of a judge because we hadn't even thought about going to a church to be married. This wasn't our, our thing. But it was when our teenage children began to go astray and to make bad choices. I could see what they were doing and how bad that was. And then it was almost as if God said to me, I am them. I, and I saw the choices that I was making the same thing. I said, something needs to change. And so I began thinking about God. I had a religious neighbor. And so I went next door and the neighbor shared the gospel with me, explained the way of salvation. I understood how Christ died for my sins and I repented and turned and believed in Jesus and I was saved. And that's how we normally talk about salvation, but that's not how Paul talks about salvation here. There, there are different ways in which Paul talks about salvation. Either I was saved, I, I have been saved. Even in 1 Corinthians, speaks about I am being saved. We are being saved. To us who are believing, who are being saved, we believe in the power of the the cross. But this is how Paul is talking about salvation, ultimate salvation. We often think about this as glorification. But here he uses the word salvation. He's talking about the day we stand before the Lord. He cleanses completely from our sins. He gives us new bodies so that we will never sin again. That's our ultimate salvation that he is, he's talking about. In that day, we will be saved. And that day has a bearing upon this day. Today isn't a day to sleep, today is a day to be alert and active, and vigilant, 
because of that day. And that day is coming nearer and nearer. I love how Paul reasons. He says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In other words, Paul sees salvation like this, this big hike where every step takes you closer and closer and closer to your goal. Now, it may be that you've got a long goal ahead, many miles ahead. But if you keep walking, you're putting one foot in front of the other, you are getting there and getting closer and closer every day. In fact, do you know that even right now, we're closer to salvation than when I began my sermon? Just time marches forward until that day as we're closer to the end than ever before. And you keep that in your mind as we're closer to the end than ever before with our ultimate salvation in, in view. It's a call to vigilance. It's not a call to sleep. You remember the story of the, the ten virgins? Right? Where, where five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And they didn't realize that the bridegroom was coming. Right? They, were, they were sleeping and snoozing. They weren't ready. Or, or do you remember the disciples who were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus went away to pray and they slept. That was not a time for sleeping. Their master was soon to be arrested and beaten and, and, and killed upon the cross. It was a time of wakefulness, not a time of sloth. And Jesus even convicted them. He said, can you not even keep with me for one hour? So also today, it's not a time to sleep. It's a time to be awake. Because we're getting nearer and nearer and nearer to salvation. You remember Jonah, when he was running from the Lord. He was asleep on the ship. He was asleep down in the, the hold of the ship, even when there was a, a great storm. When all, all the sailors are wide awake, scared to death about what's taking place, he was sleeping soundly because he was running from the Lord. He was spiritually insensitive. And the captain came and woke him and said, Get up and pray. Pray to God. Maybe he'll be merciful and will forgive us and stop the storm. So the storm isn't a time for sleeping. It's a time for praying. It's a time for, for calling on the Lord. And so also for us today, it's not a time to sleep. It's a, it's a time to be awake. And so if you're sleeping, you're walking with the Lord, I just exhort you with Paul here to, to wake up. You say, well, how do I wake up? Well, I could go the path that every sermon could go, right? Well, read your Bible and, and pray. Come to church, right? Just, those are the types of things that, that you do to, to wake up. But that's not quite where Paul goes. It's not quite where he's talking about here. When Paul says wake up, he means pursue the Lord in righteousness and purity. Look at verse 12. He says, The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. Uh, again, getting into this sleeping and waking. The night's gone. It's, it's daytime. And just by the way, in, in, in the Christian life, it's always daytime. Okay? Um, Meaning that just in the, in the life, where our, our nighttime was when we were in our sin, and the daytime is when we are alive and well there's never a time right when we spiritually sleep physically we sleep certainly but that's just a metaphor an illustration how we need to be alive and alert to the lord so again verse 12 the night is far gone the day is at hand so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light and let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. My second point is this. Not only do you need to wake up, you need to cast off. You need to cast off sin like you would a garment. 
You know, there are garments that we wear at nighttime, and there are garments that we wear in the daytime. Kids, what do we wear at night? Right? We, we wear our PJs, right? Some people wear their PJs, okay? Some people wear just shorts and a t-shirt, right? We wear our pajamas to bed, right? These are like nighttime clothes. But say, what time is it? The, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. We shouldn't be walking about in our pajamas, right? What, what do you, wouldn't it be silly? Here, here it is. It's almost 11 o'clock. Wouldn't it be silly for us if we were in our pajamas today? He's saying, take off your nighttime clothes and put on the clothes appropriate to, the, to your day. Right? For us today, it's our church clothes. Maybe for some of you, man, it's your work clothes. For children, it's the school clothes when it comes in the, in the day. And when it comes to our Christian life, it's, it, it's never night. That, that time is far gone. We're, we're far beyond the nighttime, as it says. That's far gone. Today is the time. Today's the day. We need to put on our day clothes. And he calls them here, our day clothes, he calls them the armor of light. Cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. These are the day clothes of a Christian. The armor. So what does armor signify? It's like war and, and battles and fighting. That's what armor is for. And, and that's exactly how Paul uses the word in Ephesians 6. When he speaks of the armor of God, and maybe he has that in mind, right? When he, he's thinking about the, the armor of God. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 6, a familiar passage to many of us. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because the night is going to try to overtake you and it's the day. Don't, don't be slumbering, don't be sleeping. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and then having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you may extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul pictures us as our our daily armor, as he says there at the end of verse 11, the armor of light Probably to be something like this. It's a, we need to fight against the darkness. Right? We need to cast off those works of darkness. We need to put on the armor of light. Using the armor that God has given to us. Right? Just even expanding on what, what Paul says. He says this is the kind of armor we put on. We put on the, the helmet of salvation that, that protects us from harm. And the breastplate of righteousness that gives us strength to persevere. Gives us the belt of truth to gird around our minds. He gives us the sword of the Spirit, which is the, 
the Word of God. He gives us the shield of faith that quenches the flaming darts of Satan. He gives us the shoes to take the gospel of peace to all. It's armor. That's armor that we need to wear. Today's not a day of sleeping, church family. Today's a day of fighting. We need to take up the armor of light. Now, before we take up the armor of life, we need to cast off the clothes of darkness. In verse 13, he really explains what that is. So he says, let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Six vices here that we need to avoid. They come in pairs. You can just see not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. And these are six things we need to shed. And by the way, I mean, I, I trust you see, these are hardly exhaustive. Um, like, like most lists in the Bible, they're suggestive and not exhaustive. So when, when, when Paul lists some things in the Bible, don't, don't ever think, oh, well, that's all you got to do. No, there's, there's always more. And, and even as one commentator said, and could have added, and, and such like these. Just add on is what you could do. Romans 1 is filled with sins of, that are inappropriate for a follower of Christ to be engaged in. So like these six. But the six that Paul gives here are, are paired together. First is orgies and drunkenness. They just speak of excess. Other translations use a word like carousing and, and rioting and, and reveling. The, the picture here is the party scene. People all around, alcohol flowing, loud music, sensual dancing, people hooking up, lasting long past midnight. That's why the New Living Translation translates this wild parties. He says we ought to put off those things. In our days, these things take place at nightclubs. They take place on college campuses with regularity at fraternities and sororities. During my college days, I saw a fair share of these things. Paul says to cast them off. They're not appropriate for believers. The second pair of vices, sexual immorality and sensuality. They speak of immorality. Other translations use words like debauchery, promiscuity, indecency. They, they picture the culture of our day. Fornication, pornography, adultery, homosexuality, prostitution. Just the sexual sins. It, it's, in, it's in the news Prominent people this, this week caught in a sting operation, some Asian spa in Florida. Very prominent people, embarrassed. Right? Even the world knows that these are, are not to be done. That's why they're often done at night, under the cover of darkness, so that no one knows. That's why these wild parties, these first couplet, are often in the darkness. Right? You, you don't have these wild bashes at noon They always happen at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 2 in the morning. And so we see these sexual sins, the culture of our day. And and today they're on the images, they're on screens, they're on big screens, the movie theaters, they're on small screens on our phones. It's all around us. And Paul says to cast these things off. They're not appropriate for believers. Wake up. The third pair of vices, quarreling and jealousy, speak of, of passions. Other translations use words like these, dissension, strife, fighting and envying. They picture those who aren't getting what they want. And so they use force and intimidation to get their way. They fight and quarrel. 
Today we call this bullying. Or it's the Me Too movement of today. When, when those in authority exert control over those who are, are weaker. And you just extend that to the virtual world where people rant and rave online because they don't get what they want. Because they're envious of what other people have. We can, Paul says to cast these things off. They're not appropriate behavior for believers. They're sleeping garments. But today's the day. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5. Listen to this parallel passage of exactly what we have here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 10. He says, For you are children of light, children of the day, and we are not of the night nor of darkness. There's that day, night, darkness, light sort of thing going on. He says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Don't, don't be spiritually sluggish, but be awake and be alert, is what he's saying. 1 Thessalonians 5, 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. <coughs> Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He says, right, we, we need to be of the light. We need to be of the day. We need to put on this armor of God, this armor of light. He continues on in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, salvation in the future tense. We're not going to face his wrath of condemnation, but we're going to face this future salvation someday. Through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Almost exactly parallel this passage is. Now, what's interesting about these things, these vices that he puts here in verse 13, and maybe you can just kind of look at some, some ways. Maybe you're not going to wild parties, right? But maybe there is sin there that you see, the quarreling and the jealousy or pornography or, or, or whatever. You say, we, we may like these things. I mean, why else people do them? Because they're, they're pleasurable and they, they like it. But when it comes to following Christ, they have no place in our lives. So I was thinking about a little illustration here. I have a, I have a favorite sweatshirt here. It's my Northern Illinois alumni sweatshirt. And I, I like, does this look like a well-loved sweatshirt to you? <laughs> it's really loved, but it's got some problems here. Look, here's my elbow. Okay, it's got a little hole in my elbow. My, my sleeves are all torn up and my, my collar is all my beard, kind of my whiskers chip away at that. But you know what? I, I love my sweatshirts. And uh, I have other sweatshirts like this, but Ivan has thrown them away, sadly. And I was looking to try to show you a, a worse sweatshirt, but I'm like, oh, that was, where'd that one go? And they've met their doom at the trash heap. But instead, right, this, is, this is similar to what I'm wearing today. This is just respectable clothes. These are clothes that we need to put off, and these are clothes that we need to put on, right? Put off the, the dingy clothes and put on the, the righteous clothes. And when it comes to verse 14, we see our, our third point, how we need to not, not only stay awake, wake up, not only cast off, but we need to also put on. Look at is what we put on. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
to gratify its desires. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you use Jesus here, even as a, as a garment that you put on, just like my nice shirt that I put on, that many of you put on nice shirts today, when you put Jesus Christ on us. Now this is a, a common illustration of what salvation is really all about. It's about being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. In other words, right, we're sinful, we need to be cleansed. And Jesus does this. He cleanses us not by making us righteous within so that we stand before God on our own merits, but rather He covers us with His righteous garments that we can wear in God's presence. And though we are sinners, He counts us to be righteous. That's Romans chapter 4. We spoke about that a couple months ago, a year ago, a year and a half ago. Now in one regard... uh, um, Paul has this this imagery in mind. Galatians 3 verse 27 says, For as many of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. And again, this is a little bit like salvation, right? We're, we're, We're looking for this ultimate day of salvation. He's telling us here, even as believers, to put on Jesus, though it says in Galatians 3.27 that we who have believed and we who have been baptized have put on Christ. See, when we come to faith, we put on the garment of Jesus Christ who cleanses us from our sins. And if you're here today and maybe you're like Augustine, Augustine, there's debate about how to say his name, but if you're maybe here like Augustine and you feel despair over your sin, find freedom in Jesus by placing his garment on yourself, by simply believing in him, believing in Christ, of, of what he's done on the cross, and accept his blood to wash away your sin, like we sang today, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then when that comes, it's, it's what symbolizes living appropriately, putting Christ on, letting Him come and dwell and letting us abide in Him. And then we walk rightly, making no provision for the flesh. Right? Look at verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I mean, this really takes us back into Romans 6 and, and Romans chapter 8. I mean, you can just even, Romans 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Here's a call. Don't, don't gratify the deeds of the flesh. Don't let sin reign in you. Why? Chapter 6 goes all because we, are, we abide in Christ. Chapter 6 verse 5. We have been united with Him. And how can we who died with Him still live in sin? We can't. And the exhortation comes, chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That's exactly what he's saying here in Romans chapter 13, and verse, verse 14. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't gratify its desires. Put to death sin. And pursue righteousness. This takes us back into Romans 8 about how to do that. And you do that by aiming your mind in a right way. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that's the idea here, making no provision for the flesh by setting your mind upon the things above, right? Setting, putting to death the deeds of the flesh and pursuing after to Christ. And really, this is a nice summary of all that Paul's been talking about in this section of, of service from beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, where he, he just speaks about in light of the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, not being conformed to the world, and then talks about how to serve and how to love and then how to submit. And he comes back to love in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 13. And then he comes now and, and basically concludes this, this section. Um, we're going to continue on, of course, next week as we think about um, debatable issues. But here in the end, he's just making a clear call for salvation. And I say, church family, the time is today to wake up from your spiritual slumber, to put off your sin and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to put on righteousness. I just would long for every single one of you to, to know that and know the peace that Augustine knew that day in which he read this passage. It all became clear to him how he needs to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, God, in, in your grace, just help open eyes and open ears as we read today to prompt our prayers and prayer meeting from John 10, my sheep hear my voice. God, we just thought about that and prayed over those things, God, that that people, God, indeed would hear your voice. God, that you would open the ears of those who are your sheep to hear your voice. And so, Father, I pray today, God, that people here have heard my voice would, would even think about their lives, whether they are slumbering and how they need to wake up. Wake up from the path of doom which they are walking. Wake up from the wrath to which they are headed. God, and realize that they need to put off their sin and put on Christ. They need to repent and believe and trust in Jesus. And Father, would pray that you would even raise up people today who would turn like Augustine. Turn and then follow you and become great warriors for Christ for the rest of their lives. God, only you who can do it. Thank you for the way you work in your word. Would pray that you would, God, send out your word, accomplish everything that you would have with it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.